And we are in the book of Numbers tonight. And it's the fourth book of the Old Testament, fourth book of the Pentateuch, the five books that are accredited to Moses. And they are on the move again. Uh, We finished out something that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago as we were closing out Leviticus, that when we finished out the book of Exodus, God had first took Israel to Mount Sinai after they came out of Egypt, where the Lord gave Moses the Ten Commandments and the other laws which the children of Israel were to be governed by. God also gave Moses, the design of the tabernacle where God was going to dwell in the midst of their camp in Exodus 25 through 40, largely talking about the construction of the tabernacle, the uh, materials needed for the priestly garments, the anointing of the priests. And by the time we get to the close of the book, in the very last chapter, we have the tabernacle being erected and the tabernacle anointed for service in Israel. And at the very last few verses, the glory of the Lord descends upon the tabernacle. Moses and Aaron could not enter because of the glory of the Lord being in that place, filling the place. God was, yes, in the midst of their camp. But now, how were they to properly approach the one true God who had redeemed them? And the answer to this was found in the book of Leviticus. There in the book of Leviticus was basically a priest and worshiper's handbook and the ability to enter God's presence in the tabernacle. It was twofold in this sense. First, it spoke about the daily ministry that would take place year round at the tabernacle. And second, it would speak about the annual ministry of the high priest who would enter the Holy of Holies, once a year on the Day of Atonement to atone for uh, the sins of Israel and his sins, but also the atoning offering, the blood was sprinkled upon the altar itself, all the implements of the tabernacle, the tabernacle itself, that it was, in a sense, through the blood, washed clean of the year's sins and all the people had opportunity then to kind of have the slate wiped clean and the year would start again for them. So in Leviticus 1.1, we find that the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting. And now in Numbers 1.1, we find that the Lord spoke to Moses in the tabernacle of meeting. So the end of Exodus Moses and Aaron were put out of the tabernacle. The beginning of Leviticus, the Lord is speaking from the tabernacle to Moses, but it doesn't tell us that Moses actually had entered in. But here in Numbers 1.1, we find that the Lord spoke to Moses in the tabernacle of meeting. So what changed? The book of Leviticus taught the children of Israel how they could walk in fellowship with Yahweh, who had redeemed them and now dwelt in the midst of their camp. So the book of Numbers gets its name from the two censuses that were taken of the children of Israel here at the beginning of the book of Numbers and then later on toward the end of the book of Numbers. They had two separate censuses 
of two different generations counting the men who were really of war age as they were preparing to go into the promised land. And the book of Numbers deals with about 39 years of the 40 years of Israel's wilderness wanderings. 40 years of God's provision to rebellious people. And sadly, God never intended Israel to stay in the wilderness for so long. But he did have a purpose for the wilderness. And I think up to this point, much of that purpose had been fulfilled. Now it's the preparation to go to the promised land, which they would reject entering in. And that comes later in the book of Numbers. But initially, they needed that year there in the wilderness where they received the commandments of the Lord, in the book of Leviticus and Exodus, where they learned how they might worship the Lord. And now it was time for them to get going. Israel's rebellious heart would not allow that to happen. But... There was a purpose for the wilderness. They were not to stay there for 40 years as the children of Israel would end up doing. So this book can be divided into three key parts. Preparing to go into the promised land consists of chapters 1 through 10. Traveling to the promised land, chapters 11 through 25. And preparing to enter the promised land, Chapters 26 through 36. Here in chapter 1, we'll focus on one truth that really stood out to me is that God knows our names. And we see that here in this first chapter of Numbers chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We find that the Lord calls for a national census. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. So 13 months since they left Egypt. And he said, verse 2, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male individual from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel, You and Aaron shall number them by their armies, and with you there shall be a man from every tribe, each one the head of his father's house. So God calls Moses and Aaron to take a census along with 12 other men from the 12 tribes of Israel to count the war-age men from 20 years old and above. It's interesting that there was no cutoff for the Men of war, it's like, oh, you're over 50. They would have that cut off for the priest, but not for the men of war. And I think partly we think about people who go to war. um, There's a lot of logistics involved in war as well. And so you have your warriors, but it takes a lot of people to supply those who are actually fighting in battle. And so it would make sense to me that some of these could serve behind the lines. Very important to make sure they had meals and uh, their camps were taken care of, that weapons were supplied. But there was no cutoff for that age. It was all males 20 years old and above. In Joshua 14, 10 and 11, the word tells us, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. 
And this is Caleb talking. These 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke his word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, for going out and coming in. So no doubt there are some warriors, even at great ages, Every once in a while we get a clip of some young punk punk, trying to take advantage of an old Marine and the Marine wipes the floor with the guy and they just pick on the wrong guy. He's been trained too well. And even Caleb at 85 years old, he says, let me take the land, the land that God promised me when I was 40 years old. I'm just as strong as I was then for going out and coming in. So all males from the age of 20 and above were counted except for the tribe of Levi. So he mentions my name, verses 1 through 19. And I'm not going to read every single verse as we go through this. I'm going to summarize some of it, but I'm going to get some of these and just kind of take us through the names. And with you, there shall be a man from every tribe, each one of the head of the father's house. These are the names of the men who shall stand with you. So I want us to notice first that there were 12 men from the 12 tribes of Israel, a man from each tribe who was the tribal leader of their tribes as the head of the tribal family. They were to help guide their tribes to walk in obedience with the Lord and the word of the Lord, whom they all had made a covenant to prior to Moses going up on the mountain where he spent 40 days with the Lord receiving the Ten Commandments. Before he went up the mountain the first time, God spoke the commandments to the people. They made a covenant with the Lord. And so the tribal leaders, the family heads, they were to make sure that their tribes walked in accordance to the word of the Lord, that they would keep the covenant that they all had made with the Lord. Eight of these men mentioned, and I'll read their names in a minute, they had a bit of God's name in their name. So it really reflected the hopes of the parents who were still in captivity and after their people had been in captivity for over 400 years, They're naming their sons, eight of them, with names that reflected God or the Lord in their names. Even after 400 years of captivity, most were still looking for the promised redemption of their people. And that promise was given to the people, to Abram, in Genesis 15, 13, and 16. And God said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict afflict them 400 years. But in the fourth generation they shall return for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So they had this hope. And I'm sure that the Israelis there in Egypt were counting down the decades, the centuries, Hey, we just passed 200 years. Lord's coming soon. 200 years to go. They were still naming and still circumcising 
That didn't happen to the children that were born in the wilderness. That generation would give up on God. They wouldn't even circumcise their children. But that continued those 400 years when they were in captivity. So let's see, I'm going to combine uh, from my Bible. I didn't put it in my notes correctly here, but we begin with Reuben, Eliezer, the head of the tribe of Reuben, which was Jacob's firstborn. His name meant, my God is a rock. And then we go to Simeon, and the head of the tribe of Simeon, again, son of Jacob, son of Leah. Both of these were sons of Leah. Shemuel, his name meant God is peace. So it's the E-L in these names that is a reference to God there. And then we move down the list to Judah. And the head of the tribe of Judah was Nashan. His name is unknown, so I looked around. Some believe that it could be mean the enchanter, but um, I couldn't really find any definite meaning of this name from a few of the lexicons that I was looking at in Bible dictionaries. And so not too sure about Judah. Issachar, of the tribe of Issachar, we have kind of Nathaniel, his name meaning given of God. And we move on to Zubalan, Eliab, God of his father. And then from Zubalan, we go to Joseph. And then we're divided to the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. And so from Ephraim, we have Elijah. It means God of hearing. And from Manasseh, we have Gamaliel, the reward of God. And then we move to Benjamin, Abidan, Abidan, father of judgment. And so Abidan, father of judgment, this is a, one of the ones that doesn't reflect God in his name. From Dan, we have Ahizer. His name means brother of help. And then Asher, Pegael, ancient of God. We move to Gad. We have Elisaph. God is gathered. And this one is probably the most humorous of all the names. Not that the other names were humorous at all. But this one is. It's from the t- tribe of Natali. And it is Ahira, which his name meant my brother is evil. So he must have had an older brother that... The parents is like, you are bad. And we're going to remind you of that by naming your brother. My brother is evil. (laughs) So that's kind of a funny name. So in verses 16, we learn that they were chosen leaders. They were the heads of their tribes. And so to be chosen, it means to be appointed, to be called a person of influence or importance in their tribe. To be a leader, the Hebrew word speaks about being lifted up, exalted. It's actually a word that's used for a prince or a king. So they were the prince over their tribe, we might be able to say, and the heads 
a leader or chief of their tribes. So Deuteronomy 1.15, So I took all the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifty, leaders of tens, officers of your tribes. And then 17 through 19, we keep reading, Moses and Aaron took these men who had been mentioned by name, And they assembled all the congregation together on the first day of the second month, and they recited their ancestry, I know, but I can't say it, ancestry by family, by their father's house, according to the number of the names, from 20 years old and above, each one individually, as the Lord commanded Moses, so he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. So that ancestry that um, they were reciting, I remember talking to one of the brothers who is of Jewish descent, of the descent of the tribe of Levi, and he told me once years ago, but I've never forgotten it, that his grandfather could sing their family line going back several generations. So they put it to song. um, When the Romans destroyed Israel the second time, not in A.D. 70, but A.D. 135, and they wiped it clean. They made it bare. They also destroyed all the family records of the Jews. And so they kind of lost their identification, their heritage in that sense. But the people didn't. To this day, apparently some, they have been recounting them, reciting them, And, of course, it might be a little easier if you're 400 years closer to it than being, you know, 4,000-plus years out. But still, pretty incredible. So before Moses and Aaron began counting the men of war, 12 men were mentioned by name, one man from each tribe who were chosen leaders, heads over their tribes, 12 names that are obscure to us today, but they were not obscure to God. God knew each one by name. So the sense is we find the numbers being calculated for us in verses 12 through 46. The senses of the 12 tribes, I'm just going to give you the lowdown on these. And we have the listings first by the sons of Jacob. They're all the sons of Jacob, but Jacob had four wives. So first we find five of the sons of Leah and one of her handmaid sons. So Zilpha, her handmaid, we have them listed out here. And first up again is Reuben, Jacob's firstborn son. He's the oldest and they had 46,500 from that tribe from 20 years old and up. The children of Simeon. 59,300, the children of Gad. Gad came from the handmaid Zilpha. 45,650, the children of Judah. 74,600, the children of Issachar. 54,400, the children of Zubalin. 57,400. The second list are by Jacob's wife, Rachel, her children of Ephraim through Joseph's son. So Joseph isn't listed here. He's one of the original 12, but 
Jacob adopted Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim is actually the younger brother, but Jacob gave Ephraim the greater blessing. Jacob made Ephraim like the firstborn with the double portion. So the children of Ephraim, the son of Joseph, adopted by Jacob into the tribes of Israel, 45,500. The children of Manasseh, Ephraim's older brother, again, a son of Joseph, but adopted by Jacob, 32,200. The children of Benjamin, Joseph's only full brother, they had the same mom and dad, 35,400. The third list were of the sons by the wives of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, and the other son from Zilpha. Each of the handmaids had two sons each. One has already been listed to us, Gad, the son of Zilpha. But now we have the rest of them. The children of Dan, Bilhah, they had 62,700. The children of Asher, Zilpha's other son, 41,500. The children of Naphtali, or Naphtali, Bilhah's son, 53,400. So of these, verse 44 through 46, these are the ones who were numbered, whom Moses and Aaron numbered with the leaders of Israel, 12 men, each one representing his father's house. So all that were numbered by the children of Israel, by their father's house, from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war in Israel, all who were numbered were 603,550. So the first census, we'll look at this when we get to the second census. I believe it's in Numbers 26 and 27. But they, after 40 years, would almost maintain the same number of men, although they'd have a little less when they actually entered into the promised land. But over 600,000 men, this is where we get... When we talk about the nation of Israel that came out of Egypt by the numbering of 600,000 men, 20 years old and above, able to go to war, when we say that Moses went out between with uh, 2 to 3 million people, this is where we get that numbering from because if you had over 600,000 men, if every man had a wife, and this is where it probably doesn't work very well, they had large families, so that number could have even been greater. But if you have, um, every man has a wife of that, you have over a million right there. And if they all have two children, you have over two million. Uh, Israelis didn't have just two children, though, sometimes, but usually not. So the number is pretty great. People would say, well, how in the world could God then provide and that's the thing. God provided for them 40 years in the wilderness. God caused them to survive, giving them food, the manna daily, water when they needed it, even meat when they complained about not having it. God was there to make sure that they had provision and survived that time in the wilderness. Why? Because the Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want, Psalm 23, 1 and Jesus today says to us in John 11, 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gave his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Our Lord is still providing. I've been praying a lot 
for provision. I think our country is uh, setting up for a bigger crash than what we've seen. We haven't really crashed yet. And uh, initially, about beginning of the year, toward the end of 2021 and beginning of 2022, I was finding a lot of similarities with the crash that we did have in the 2008. Um, and then also similarities in the early 80s when I was just starting out as a young brick mason and observing how we went through a pretty major recession at that time, how it killed business, how it killed housing, even how it came back and what had to take place. Um, we were young. And so here's some things that people don't even think about anymore. But Lily and I bought our first home at 11 and a quarter interest for our house, 11 and a quarter. And our first car, we paid 18 and a half percent interest on our first car, all in the early 80s. How did they get out of that? By the rates continuing to go up. And we've been watching them. Um, our daughter-in-law, Catherine, who's in the real estate business, had said uh, one week before the rates went over 7%, she had just posted online that I feel that by the end of the year, we'll hit 7%. And by the end of the next week, we're already over 7%. So they'll probably, maybe we'll have an 8% by the end of the year or more. But God provided, I've been praying for the provision for our lives, our family, our fellowship, and our families within the fellowship as well. So the tribe of Levi kind of wraps up this first chapter, verses 47 through 54. I'm going to read it through as it is given to us in Scripture, 47 through 54. I'll read it from the Bible. In the small print here. But the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe, for the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all of its furnishings, over all things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take down Take it down, and when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up, and the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Verse 52. And the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, every one by his own camp, every one by his own standard, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of testimony, that there will be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of testimony. Thus the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they did. So the first census, we learned that there were 603,550 men who were able to go to war from 20 years old and above. It's believed that there were more than 2 million plus of the children of Israel that came out of Egypt and uh, made it into the promised land. The only exception in the census was the tribe of Levi. They were not to be counted. Instead, they were 
to care for, surround, and transport the tabernacle of the testimony or the tabernacle of the Lord. No one from any other tribe could have anything to do with it. It was the Levite's job, those who, an outsider who was not of the tribe of Levite, they were to be put to death. So pretty serious. In Deuteronomy 10, 8 and 9, Moses tells about the separation of the tribe of Levi. So he's telling the next generation, right now they're the kids, but before they go into the promised land, the book of Deuteronomy is sometimes called the second law, where he rehearses their 40 years in the wilderness, prepares the next generation to go into the promised land. Moses tells them, Deuteronomy 10, verses 8 and 9, at that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, to bless his name to this day. Therefore, Levi has no portion nor inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God promised him. So the first census, in preparation for the battles ahead, God was preparing their people to enter the promised land where there would be battles, but they had no reason to fear because God was with them. And this is true for us today. As believers in Hebrews 13:5, the Lord promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. May we be like the heads of the tribes of these men who are the tribes of the 12 tribes mentioned here by name. They were part of the family of God. God knew them by name. And those of us who have Jesus as our Savior, we find that our names have been written in the book of life. Jesus himself said in John 10:3, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. Talking about the good shepherd. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. In Luke 10, 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice that your spirits are that spirits are subject to you, Jesus talking to the disciples who had sent them out on a missionary journey. When they came back, they were ecstatic. Lord, people were healed in your name. We were able to cast out demons in your name. And the Lord said, don't rejoice about that, that spirits were subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He knows us by name. <laughs> Many years ago, we were out in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and I was going through the School of Ministry, um, and we lived right across the street from the church in an apartment complex. They were really ranch houses with four units, so they just kept stretching back. So the front of the house, we ended up living in one of those. It was like a three-bedroom ranch house, but they just kept going and extending and you had three other units behind you in garages in the alley. But my son one time, probably nine or ten years old at the time, and I was 32, 33 at this time, he said that, that Chuck waved at me. He smiled and waved at me like he knew him. At least that's what my son thought. And it's like, yeah, that's Chuck. He smiled nice. <laughs> but he didn't know you, son. But John felt as if Chuck knew him by name. I wondered sometimes if Chuck knew me by name. And I worked at the church and I was on staff there. But no matter, know this, that God knows you by name. 
So God was to be at the center of the camp in chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2, we find a general command. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Every one of the children of Israel shall camp by his own standard besides the emblems of his father's house. They shall camp some distance from the tabernacle of meeting. So that some distance, the Levites camped all around the tabernacle of meeting. And then outside of that boundary, the remaining 12 tribes were to camp, but in a specific order. 1 Corinthians 14.33 and verse 40, we discover where Paul says to the Corinthian church, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, let all things be done decently and in order. And we find in chapter 2, order given to the camp of Israel. The camp was arranged in such a way that God was at the center of their camp, And we learn in chapter 3 that the Levites were to camp directly around the tabernacle itself. And we'll learn in chapter 3, we already read that, but in chapter 3 we'll learn uh, the four separate divisions of the tribe of Levi and where those divisions were to camp around the tabernacle of testimony. So here in this chapter, we're given the locations of the remaining 12 tribes. On the east side, verses 3 through 9, we first learn on the east side, there were three of Leah's sons, Judah, Issachar, and Zubalin, consisting of 186,400 men, men of war, with Judah as their head. The standard, they all had standards. I only looked up the standards of the four heads of the 12 tribes because it's interesting when you consider the standards. And we'll look at that when we get through the chapter a little bit more. But the standard of Judah was a lion. Judah was positioned east of the tabernacle. And it's significant because the tabernacle's entry was on the east side. So every time they worshiped the Lord, they always entered from the east. And when they built the temple that is now destroyed, two temples being destroyed in Jerusalem, but when the temple was built, the temple faced toward the east. Today that would be toward the Mount of Olives from Mount Moriah where the temple was built. And on the east was also the king's entrance. So Judah... From Judah would come the Davidic line of the kings. And we have the prophecy of Jacob in Genesis 49.10 of Judah saying, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet, till Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So even before Israel even thought about a king, Jacob prophesied that ultimately that king would come from Judah, and God at the very beginning had Judah camping on the east side of the tabernacle under the standard of a lion. 1 Chronicles 9.18, Then the Lord had the gatekeeper for the camps of the children of Levi, Levi at the king's gate on the east side. So early on, even before there was a king, God's already setting up the eastward side of the tabernacle was set apart 
for Aaron and the priestly line, and for Judah and the kingly line. The second tribes, camping on the south side, verses 10 through 17, we have Leah's firstborn son and two of her handmaids, Zilpha, so Reuben, Simeon, and Gad, 151,450 warriors. Reuben was the head of their tribe, and Reuben's standard was a man's head. In Genesis 49, 3 and 4, Jacob prophesied of Reuben, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, the excellency of power, unstable as water, you shall not excel because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, and he went up to my couch. So Reuben took one of Jacob's handmaids, had sexual relations with her, and we never read too much of anything that Jacob said about that during their lifetime, but right before Jacob died, he told Reuben, you are not going to excel. And here we have Reuben, though, still as the head, and his um, tribute, that banner, that of a man's head. The tribes on the west side of the tabernacle, verses 18 through 24, camping on the west side of the camp to the west, was two of Rachel's grandsons and one of her sons, and that would be Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, 180,000 men of war. With Ephraim as their head, Ephraim's standard is an ox or a cherubim. So an ox or a cherubim. When Jacob blessed Joseph's sons, again Ephraim being the younger, he gave Ephraim the double portion over his brother Manasseh. And when Joseph called attention to Israel, and Jacob was nearly blind, Jacob was nearly blind, I said that, but Joseph lined up his sons so that Jacob would put his right hand of blessing on the eldest son. But Jacob did the old switcheroo and uh, blessed them by crossing his arms. And Joseph said, he complained. He called attention to it. No, my father. Joseph called attention to it. And Jacob said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people. Speaking of Manasseh, he shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he. His descendants shall become a multitude of nations. Genesis 48:12. On the north side, in 25 through 31, there were the two sons of Rachel's handmaid, Bilhah, and also the other handmaid of Leah and Zilpha, her son Dan, Asher, and Naphtali, 157,600 men of war. Dan was their head, whose tribute or banner was that of an eagle. So Genesis 49, Jacob's blessing again for his sons. Genesis 49, 16 and 17. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel so that its rider shall fall backwards. So we learn about Dan when they get into the promised land that they never occupied the territory that was allotted to them. They actually went north outside of the bounds of Israel proper more so toward um, Lebanon, 
to an area that we've been there, Lily and I, uh, when we were in Israel, we visited this area where Dan uh, found a people who were unprotected. They almost like tropical Hawaii-like areas, very beautiful with water uh, coming out of the, one of the tributary heads of the Jordan River coming from the mountain there at the base of the mountain, just kind of bubbling up. It's also a place where um, it's known for demonic worship at the base of that mountain. And they call it one of the gates of hell. And this is an area where Dan would not only set up, but when Israel would divide into two nations and you'd have the southern tribe of Judah and the northern tribe of Israel and their first king, Jeroboam, set up two counterfeit temples and golden calves for the people to worship. One of those temples was set in Dan. And so Dan became a viper, helped lead people into apostasy and the ruins of that temple are present today there in that area in northern Israel. So we've sat on the steps of those temples, of that temple there. The other temple was set up in Bethel, and I don't think that temple has been discovered. But the ruins of this temple in Dan has been discovered. So the four standards, we've had a lion, a man's head, an ox, and an eagle. Does it remind us of anything? Cherubims and seraphim that are seen at Eden around the throne of God. In Genesis, we don't get a description of them, but bear with me for a moment. Genesis 3:24. this is important. And he drove out man, Adam and Eve. He drove him out of the garden. He placed cherubim. So a cherub is one. He placed cherubim, plural, more than one, at the east of the garden of Eden. What was the entryway to the tabernacle of meeting at the east? Here we have cherubim at the east again of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword turning every which way to guard the way to the tree of life. So it seems like even access to the Garden of Eden was from the east. Ezekiel 1.10, for the likeness of their faces, talking about the cherubim, each had a face of a man, each had a face of a lion, each had a face of an ox, each had a face of an eagle. And so the front, the back, the left and right, face of a man, face of an ox, face of an eagle, and face of a lion. Revelation 4, 7 and 8, and the first living creature was a lion, like a lion. The second living creature, like a calf, so that ox. Thirdly, living creature, like a face of a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, which have six wings were full of eyes all around and within do not rest day and night saying holy 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 lord god almighty who was and is and is to come and god uh, from genesis to revelation and even here in the wilderness surrounding by the standards that are uh, connected to the cherubim the angelic beings that are at the throne room of god and we see a similarity tying through the scriptures, even in how Israel set up their camp. Now, I'll say this. I've never quite got this picture in my head, but some have. I saw it in a commentary today 
And I know it's went out there. If you count the number of the tribes, how they are grouped from the north to the south to the east and the west, it forms a perfect picture of the cross. Um, I don't know if they camped in the exact order of a cross. I saw another picture in a commentary today that would kind of make sense in my brain that they kind of encircled it. And so they just camped out from it, made a circle around it. That could work as well. Some have this cross figure, uh, maybe. I don't know if they would camp so directly straight. But I did remember when we were at Manasseh where the last holdouts in that rebellion that took place in AD 135 and the Romans had the last holdout of the Jews up in Manasseh. And uh, they built a siege ramp up on top of this plateau and the plateau is way up there. And they built a siege ramp up the side of the mountain where Herod the Great had built this summer palace for himself. They could stay there for a long time, but the Romans built this siege ramp up the side of the mountain. They broke through the outer wall just to discover that the Jews had built an inner wall. And the Jews knew that um, that next day that they would get through that inner wall. And then the men went into the uh, synagogue there on top of Manasseh and they committed, they did not want to surrender to the Romans. And so from that synagogue, the men went out and killed all the people that were taken refuge there. And one who was in the synagogue, they grew, drew straws through lots, however they did this, um, then killed the other remaining men and committed suicide himself because in their minds, you commit suicide, you don't go to heaven. So one man chose to not go to heaven. And the only reason the Romans have this story is because they found a few women and some children hiding in one of the areas where the water was stored. And they told them what had taken place. The Romans were disgusted by it. But there is a siege ramp there today near Manasseh that was built by uh, a movie theater who is making a movie there. But when you look at the siege ramp and then look to the right, you can still see the boundaries of the Roman encampment from 2,000 years ago on the floor of the desert there. And it was very orderly and set up like uh, divisions of streets that you would think. It was not disorderly. Those boundaries are still set from 2,000 years ago. And so there could have been such an order that it formed a cross-like shape. It could have been encircling the camp. We don't know. Scriptures doesn't give us that information. We do know the tribes, where they were to camp. Verses 32 through 34, we finish the chapter. These are the ones who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's houses, all who were numbered according to the armies of the forces were 600,000, I think I put that thousand too quick. 603,550. And the Levites were not numbered among the children of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus, the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards. So they broke camp, each one by his own family, according to the father's houses. Not only were they to camp in this order, but when they broke camp, Judah 
And those who were under his standard, the standard of the lion, were to leave first. Second, Reuben and those who were under the standard of Reuben's uh, man of a head of a man, they were to leave second. Third to leave would be the priest in the tribe of Levi. So they would be in the center of the camp. This is when they were moving in the desert. Ephraim would follow behind the tribe of Levi, those who were under the standard of the ox. And then Dan was the rear guard, those under the standard of the eagle. Whether in camp or on journeys, they held this order. God kept was kept at the center of their lives, at the center of their camps. And as believers, we must remember to keep Jesus as our center, as our head at all times. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says, And he put all things under the, his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all and in all. And may we have Jesus Christ as the center of our lives. And so I would remind you, years ago, Pastor Chuck told his congregation of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, that when you pray with your family at meal three times a day before you go to bed, always tag your prayer with, and God bless Calvary Chapel. And I think we need to begin tagging our prayers, and Lily and I have been doing this, praying for God's provision for our families, for our fellowship, and for the provision of salvation and his work in our lives to those around us. And so I would encourage you, Lily and I have been doing it for well over a couple of months now, specifically tagging our prayers, praying for the body. And I would encourage you to do the same, even if it's as simple as, and God bless Calvary Chapel. But in my mind, it's going back to teaching through the Beatitudes and give us this day our daily bread. We need to be praying about these things. I do pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.